For health's sake, a simple chat for better health. I'm your host, Donna Karras. These podcasts are a publication of Amory Hospital and Clinic, Hudson Hospital and Clinic, Health Partners Clinic Stillwater, Lakeview Hospital, and Westfields Hospital and Clinic. All are part of a nonprofit healthcare organization committed to enhancing community health. I'm talking with Dr. Betsy Manor about the essential vitamins and minerals women need at every age. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Manor. Pleasure to be here. Can we get all of our vitamins and minerals we need from food? Yes. In fact, it's actually preferred to get them from food rather than supplements because foods themselves contain multiple vitamins and nutrients rather than just one that you might get in a supplement. So for example, instead of just getting calcium pills, food may have potassium and magnesium also. Most people have a really good access to a variety of nutritional foods. And so theoretically, we really should be able to get what we need from foods. And these days, a lot of foods are actually fortified with the nutrients that don't naturally occur in them. So an example would be that cereals may have a whole bunch of the B vitamins added, which may not naturally occur in them. Or some of you may have seen calcium that's added to orange juice and has as much calcium as a glass of milk or something like that. Unfortunately, the problem is that most of our diets currently are really focused a lot on convenience and what we enjoy rather than getting nutrition. We pretty much have access to any type of food we want, including the junk food. And so we have to really eat strategically and kind of work even harder than ever to eat right. Now, vitamins and minerals are not actually made by our body for the most part. So we really do have to take them in in what we get either by food or supplements. And again, most people can get what they need. There are some people that really struggle with getting things properly through nutrition. Um, Sometimes the elderly will have a much more poor appetite. People who have food insecurity may find it harder to really seek out the more expensive nutritious foods. People who have either voluntary or involuntary diet restrictions may find it more difficult Anyone who's had gastric bypass has to be real careful about the types of things they eat, the extra nutrition they need. And then people who have malabsorption syndromes also, you know, may not um, take in the right nutrition, even if they're actually eating all of the right things. Could you explain what is meant by water-soluble and fat-soluble vitamins? And why is that important? Water-soluble vitamins really mean that they dissolve in water. And the reason why that's important is because in order to get into our bloodstream, you know, it dissolves in water and then our body uses what it needs, but then it has to be replaced regularly because our body kind of just eliminates what it doesn't need. You can't store it up. Fat-soluble vitamins, on the other hand, don't really dissolve in water. They're much better absorbed into our bloodstream when we eat them with fat. So there is certainly an element of fat that we do need in our diet. Those vitamins can actually be stored in fat in our body, stored in our liver, things like that. And our body can use them over time. That seems like a really good thing, which it very much is, but the fat-soluble vitamins, because they do build up, you can get to toxic levels if you take in very high amounts, which is not a common thing, but can occasionally occur. Vitamins that are water-soluble are the B vitamins, so thionine, niacin, stuff like that, and vitamin C. The fat-soluble are vitamin A, 
D, E, and K. Should we be taking anything extra during our childbearing years? Yes, we definitely should. So women who are capable of having children should get 400 to 800 micrograms per day of folic acid. And this is true for women who are just capable of being pregnant, even if they're not actually planning on it, because it turns out about half of the pregnancies are unplanned and folic acid is really quite important early on in pregnancy for development of the baby's nervous system. So the brain and spinal cord, many women may not even know they're pregnant right away. So it's important to be considering that when you could potentially become pregnant. Many women also have anemia during their childbearing years because that's the time when we are having menstrual cycles and we lose blood through that process. So it is important to get proper iron, particularly if you have uh, heavy bleeding or are becoming pregnant or are pregnant currently. At what age should we start taking calcium to prevent osteoporosis? Well, this is a little bit of a tricky question. So just to kind of explain a little bit about osteoporosis, it's a condition in which the bones have kind of weakened and are at risk of breaking with even like a minor injury or really no injury at all. We typically think of osteoporosis as an older condition. So we test for people at age 65 because it is related to the aging process. There are other health conditions and medications um, that would prompt your doctor to actually test earlier. But in general, we think of it as an older person condition. But actually, it turns out that preventing osteoporosis actually begins in childhood, which I think probably a lot of people would find surprising. So if you're listening and you're in your 65 and older category and you're thinking, my time (laughs) has already passed, well, you can certainly at least pass information along to children, grandchildren, and so forth. But really, the best thing that you can do is really think about your calcium intake throughout life. So bone strength really, really increases rapidly, even from the pre-adolescent years, kind of into our 20s. And we reach our very strongest bones at about age 30 or somewhere in the 30s. So there's really no specific time when you should start to supplement calcium, but it's actually important to really take calcium kind of throughout your whole life if you are not getting enough calcium in your diet. And there are, you know, tables where you can see kind of what's recommended at different age groups for calcium. Um, But just as an example, in childhood ages, we recommend 1300 milligrams per day. In kind of your middle years of life, we recommend about 1000 milligrams per day. And then as you get into your older years, 50 and older, we recommend about 1200 milligrams per day. So there's a little bit of variation, but regardless, you know, it's uh, over 1000 milligrams per day. The other thing is you can actually do a few other things to help your your bone density. So unfortunately, cigarette smoking and alcohol intake both reduce bone density. So that's something that you can adjust throughout your life. And then exercise increases it. And so you can certainly work on that as well. So it's by no means a done deal when you get into your 60s or 70s and you have weakened bones, but it is important to really be thinking about your bone health throughout your whole life and not just calcium supplementation later on. Do we need to take vitamin D? 
Well, yes, if you don't get enough vitamin D in your diet, then yes, that would be a good idea. Your doctor can test your vitamin D levels to see if that's the case, particularly if you don't spend much time in the sun, you've had gastric bypass or other gastric surgeries, or you have malabsorption. If you spend a lot of time in the sun, which is how your body helps to actually make vitamin D, it is one of the vitamins that the body can have some role in making and it doesn't have to just come solely from diet, then oftentimes there's no need to supplement vitamin D. But if your vitamin D is very low, then you may actually need a prescription strength vitamin D. And if it's just a little bit low, then you could probably get by with taking an over-the-counter medication. And of course, for people who do have osteopenia, a slight weakening of the bones or osteoporosis, where it's a more significant weakening of the bones, you know, we do recommend calcium and vitamin D. And sometimes we also recommend other medications that the doctor can provide for bone health. The people who probably benefit from vitamin D the most are elderly patients who are still active enough to be living in their home, but maybe have a little bit of trouble where they might be at risk of falling, maybe are quite thin and don't eat as much and don't spend much time outside. We do know that vitamin D supplementation, kind of even independent of what their levels show, seem to actually help benefit keeping those patients healthy and without fractures. Should we be taking anything extra during perimenopause and menopausal years? There's not really any specific vitamins or minerals that I'd recommend during those years. The goal really is for each person to kind of meet the amount that they need. So there's something called recommended dietary allowance or RDA, which is the amount of the nutrient intake that meets the needs of about 98% of people in, say, a specific age group or with a specific condition such as pregnancy. So you can actually find online a number of different tables that go over the RDA data for each vitamin and mineral, as well as the amount of vitamins and minerals in certain foods and that kind of thing. So there really isn't any extra that I would recommend, unless, of course, you're not getting it in your your regular diet, then you may need to supplement with a multivitamin or something like that. A lot of people actually do take some form of a supplement during perimenopause and menopausal years. Isoflavonones, phytoestrogen, soy, and black cohosh are actually really popular ways to reduce hot flashes. You know, like a lot of other things, it's not consistent whether that works well for most people. If that works well for them, I think it's a it's a great thing to consider. But definitely you should always talk with your doctor about taking any kind of supplements, especially these types if you have a risk of breast cancer because they can mimic the estrogen in the body and things like that. So I would say that would probably be the main thing that I see women in the perimenopause and menopausal years taking. Are there essential supplements all women should take? Yeah, so that's a great question also. It turns out that a lot of people take supplements. Billions of dollars are spent each year on vitamins and other supplements. And Johns Hopkins actually did some research to look at just multivitamins and see, are we getting much benefit from them or not? And as I've mentioned before, you know, it's important if you're not getting things in your diet that you have to take them in somehow. 
But it actually turns out that when we think about these vitamins as a way to reduce risks for health conditions and stuff like that, not a lot of them have been shown to be helpful. So it doesn't reduce the risk for heart disease, cancer, cognitive decline, such as like memory loss and slow thinking, or even an early death. So really, there's not a universal recommendation that all women should be taking a particular supplement or vitamin or anything like that, except for the fact that folic acid in your childbearing years has been shown to be helpful for, you know, for the baby if you do get pregnant. So I guess I would say the main point is if you can get it from diet, great. It supplement anything that you don't feel like you're getting enough from the diet. And then it turns out that even though we think of vitamins and nutrients and herbs and a lot of things like that that are in supplements, we think of those as very natural. It turns out that even those can have some consequences. So we used to think that vitamin E, for example, which has great antioxidant properties that reduce inflammation and, and injury. We used to think that that helped with heart disease. So we put everybody on vitamin E, especially if they had heart disease. And later studies showed that it was actually harmful. So you don't want to just make an assumption that just because it's something that's available over the counter, that it has no impact in your health. Should we check with our doctor before we take certain vitamins and minerals? Absolutely. So much for the same reason I kind of just mentioned that just because things are available without a prescription, just because they're labeled as natural, doesn't mean that they don't have any consequence, particularly if you are on any medications or you have any serious health conditions, you would want to talk with your doctor in advance. Many people are on blood thinners, and that can be quite dangerous if your level of blood thinner gets altered by a supplement that you're on. A lot of supplements actually have a combination of things. So one of the things may be something very clearly beneficial to you or not harmful, but it can have other components in it. And so it's actually very helpful if you are wanting to try something to bring in the bottle or information to your doctor so that they can actually look at all the different information. Sometimes there's not very good information about some of the herbal supplements and stuff like that just because they haven't actually been studied in the same way as prescription medications which go through, you know, a number of different tests and regulations and things like that. But it's always helpful at least to review that so that we can conclude whether there seems to be any concern or not. That was very helpful. Thanks, Dr. Manner. You are very welcome. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening. 